Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Game of Thrones, The Reign of David. This series looks at the reign of David in the books of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles to learn from David's victories and failures to see how we can walk more closely with Jesus. Today's text is going to be from 1 Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 8 to 36. Uh, for those of you who were here last week, uh, I'm giving thanks to God that this text is a little bit easier to, to teach through than what we uh, were last week with the incident with uh, Uzzah and bringing the ark back. Today we're going to be looking at what I'm calling a worshiping kingdom. What's our response to the holiness of God when we come into God's holy presence? Uh, what is our response? So we're going to look at 1 Chronicles 16. We're going to go from verses 8 to 36. I remind you as we're going through this series, we're mainly going through 2 Samuel, but 1 Chronicles covers the same uh, information, sometimes gives some additional stuff. For example, today, today's text is not covered in 2 Samuel, so you kind of read both books in conjunction with one another. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, beginning at verse 8, hear now the words of our sovereign, holy Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Israel, his servants, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no man to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They will sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. It's a pretty rousing passage of Scripture. 
And it really reminds us of King David. One of the reasons I decided to take this, it doesn't, in a certain sense, move the story of David and his reign forward, but in another sense it does. Because sometimes we associate certain people with certain things. When I bring up Abraham Lincoln, what we all think about is him being president during the Civil War. It's virtually impossible to think of Lincoln without thinking of that struggle. George Washington, it would be the founding of our country. Well, David is associated not with the founding of Israel or the exile or any of those things. David is really associated most with the book of Psalms and with the praise and worship of Israel. The tabernacle that David builds is full of of singing. We're going to see in a moment, David actually prescribed that, and it was a change from what had gone on. The tabernacle that had existed prior to this was not a place where you would go and hear singing, but in David's time, it became a place of singing and worship. So the question we want to bring up is, as David has brought the tabernacle into, I mean, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, is why are David and his tabernacle so closely related to worship and singing? Why is that? And how is this all related to the arrival of the ark, that ark of God's presence? So we're going to dive in and we're going to look at David's psalms of praise here. Now, the background I remind us, and for those who weren't here last week, at this point in David's reign, you remember, he went to go bring the ark of the covenant, which is God's very holy presence, the place where God put his presence in the most visible manifest way in all of creation was this Ark of the Covenant. And when they first tried to bring it up, they did not bring it up the way God had prescribed. They uh, violated God's rules regarding the Ark. They treated it more like it was some kind of a toy box or a lucky rabbit's foot. And what was the result for Uzzah? What happened to Uzzah? He was destroyed. He was killed because David was learning and the people of God were being reminded that for a sinful human being to touch the very holiness of God is always death for you and me. Uzzah's problem again was that he thought the created order, the dirt, was dangerous to the ark, but it wasn't. Dirt was not an offense to God or his presence. It was Uzzah that was an offense to God and his presence, just like you and I are, apart from the covering of blood. So the next time David learns and there's sacrifices, there is a mediation between the sinner and a holy God, which points us forward to Jesus, and he brings the ark in, and the ark comes in, and now in First Chronicles we read what happens. In Second Samuel we're just told David blesses everybody, they go home and they put the ark in the tabernacle. In First Chronicles it says, well, this tabernacle is a tabernacle of worship and praise, and it shows the response in First Chronicles uh, as the ark of God's presence comes to be with David in Jerusalem. How does David respond? Well, we're told about this first off in verse 7, that we read that there are psalms of praise that are offered. And I'm going to put up two versions of the New International Version, and I'll explain why in just a moment. In 1 Chronicles 16, 7, in the, the 1984 translation, they said, that day David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. And then it follows what I just read a moment ago. In the newer translation they did a few years ago, they said, that day David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. Now, the reason I bring this up is the Hebrew doesn't actually say this psalm. Actually, the word psalm is not there, nor is the word this there. It actually says to give praise to the Lord. They've even kind of added in this manner, but the, the reason that they're doing that is because this psalm that I just read is actually comprised of three different psalms. If you've read the Psalms, much you may have said, I think I've heard this before, and I don't remember reading it in First Chronicles. The reason is, it's this in First Chronicles, it's three different Psalms that are brought together. If you look up here on the screen, I'll show what they are. In verses 8 to 22, that is Psalm 105, verses 1 to 15. Verses 23 to 33 is Psalm 96, 1 to 13. And verses 34 to 36, right there at the end, is Psalm 106, 
verse 1, and then verses 47 and 48, which is actually the conclusion. If you remember, the book of Psalms is broken into five little books, and every one of them ends with a doxology. That's why it ends with, you know, praise the Lord from everlasting to everlasting. That's how all of those books end, and that's here. So this section in 1 Chronicles is actually broken into these three psalms. That's why the newer version you have is translated said, in this manner, because the question is, we don't know which came first. It's kind of a chicken or the egg. Was it what was written in the book of Chronicles, and then that was later broken into three separate psalms? Or is it that those were three separate psalms, and the writer of Chronicles is bringing it together and just saying, this is kind of a sampling of the worship of Israel? And here's the answer. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. The Hebrew doesn't tell us whether David wrote that particular thing. What it's establishing for us is that David is establishing the pattern and practice of praise for Israel as part of her worship. Something new is going on. The ark is coming in to be with the king and uh, right at the heart of the nation and the people of God. And as they do so, they're going to be a people of worship. If you back up just a couple of verses before where we began in 1 Chronicles 16, 4, we read about the preparations David had made and we're told this, he... David, had appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the Levites had always been associated with the tabernacle. They're the ones who were supposed to move the ark and all the other things. And they had long made prayer and, and you know, prayed and, and made petition for Israel. But there's a new element that they're supposed to give praise and thanksgiving to God. And we read about all of the instruments that are involved in that. There's basically a nonstop worship service going to be going on in the tabernacle now, which is different than what had gone on before. David's adding this new element, praise and worship. And so whether verses 8 to 36 record a psalm of David that later on others took and said, well, we're going to take part of that initial psalm that was sang in the tabernacle, and we're going to just take part of it and use it, or whether later on the tradition David had established produced these songs and the chronicler who's actually writing after the exile, like 600 years after David or 500 years after David, took some of them and said, I'm just going to take some stuff and say, this is what David established. This is the outgrowth of that. This is kind of some of the greatest hits, so to speak. The point's the same. David, the king, who's been the warrior, the shepherd, a poet is now the one who is the source of Israel's practice of writing and singing psalms to God, saying, when we come into the presence of God, we come in with song, we come in with worship. That is the appropriate response. And so that's kind of what's going on here. So what I want to do now with the rest of the time is take a closer look at this and say, if in fact what they're doing is they're saying, look, when the ark comes in, this is the proper response. If you're the people of God and you are confronted with the holy presence of God and you are not consumed, but rather you receive blessing, here's what your response ought to look like. That's what the chronicler is telling us. So what's going on here? Well, the first thing is, Verses 8 to 22, which came out of Psalm 105, that passage, we are called to give thanks and praise to God. We can look throughout it, but I'll just note a few things. Notice in verses 8 to 10, it starts by telling us, give thanks to the Lord. In verse 9, it says, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wondrous acts. In verse 10, glory in his holy name. Now, all of this is using different words. It may say give thanks. It may say sing. It may say sing praise. It may say tell. It may say glory or, or glorify, give glory to God for something. But it's all the same activity. It's all praising God. It's all what David is teaching Israel is the proper response when God's holy presence is a source of blessing rather than death. To we sinful human beings. So God's people are here told that we are called to verbally declare how great God is and to give thanks for everything he has done. This is the pattern that David is setting in for the people of God. 
And it's appropriate that David is doing this. It is a natural response to the presence of God and especially of the gospel. Those who've been justified, who have been adopted, who have been brought into God's kingdom and are now his children and under his blessing, they should naturally declare his praise. It's what we are called to do. So notice actually Peter picks up a similar thing and tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he's rehearsed the gospel and what God has done. He concludes by saying this in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. He's quoting Exodus 19, 5 and 6 where they've been delivered from Egypt. He's quoting that and he says, here's what you do. Here, you, you are all these things that... This is why God's done this. This is why he's chosen you. This is why he's made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to him. That you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, once you were like Uzzah, now you have received mercy. And there he's actually making a play on words on the names of Hosea's sons when Israel was going to be going into exile. And, and God said, you're, you're not my people. You're not loved. You're, you're not under mercy. And that was the, the actual names of Hosea's sons. Peter's bringing out saying, that's who you naturally were. You were not loved. You were not under mercy. You were not God's people. Now in Jesus, you are loved. You are under mercy. You are the people of God. And there's only one response. You give praise to God. You declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So that's the first part that the psalmist is telling us the same thing. When you come in, the first thing you do is give thanks. You give praise. You sing to God. Now, he goes on further and tells us why we give praise to God for God's covenant promises. Notice in verses 15 to 17, he really turns to this. And he tells us, as I put it up here on the screen, you can see the, the things in yellow are things that deal with God's covenant, his word of promise. Uh, he says he remembers his covenant, the word he commanded. He speaks in verse 16 again of the covenant uh, he made with Abraham, the oath that he swore, how he confirmed it as a decree, and again closes by saying it's an everlasting covenant. When they're piling up those same words and concepts, it's to say, pay attention. God's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And notice that he not only says that, but the other stream in here is how long does this covenant last? Forever. He tells us, he remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded to a thousand generations. And he confirms it to Israel as an everlasting covenant. I love that phrase, a thousand generations. When we do baby dedications, I talk about this. Early in my Christian life, I heard a lot of people ruminating on where it says in the Ten Commandments that those who hate me are cursed to the third and fourth generation. Why do we fixate on third and fourth generation of curse and skip over a thousand generations of blessing? Which one's more impressive, three or four or a thousand? I mean, but somehow we, we stick on like, oh, gee, I wonder if I'm under the third or fourth. How about claiming the thousand? That's what I'm doing. Every grandchild comes into our family. I am claiming I can track back where we're now down to the fifth generation that I know of. And like, okay, God, 995 to go. I'm claiming your covenant promises. Not because of something in me, but because of who you are. You are a God who keeps your promise forever. Whatever happens, you keep your promise. And you should remember here, this text we're doing is in the book of First Chronicles, which is written to the people who are in exile. Do you see why he's pulling out? Even if it's, if it's not the words that David did on that day and he's just picking out Psalms, can you see why he picked this? Because they've been there and they're three generations deep in the exile. Not only the people who came into exile died, their children died and some of the grandchildren are dying. Does God remember his promise? Oh yes, he does. He remembers his promise to a thousand generations. He remembers and keeps his promise. Kingdoms come and go, 
Religions rise and fall, but God is faithful to remember and keep his covenant forever. That's who our God is. And so we praise God for his covenant faithfulness, which stretched through the ages into eternity. That thing where it usually says everlasting in Hebrew, the way they say it is into the ages of the ages. It's just, I, I, I don't even have language to give you what it means. It just stretch out as far as you can go into the ages, and there are ages of those ages, and God's still faithful. It never ends. It's like an amazing grace. We say, well, we've been there 10,000 years. We've just begun. That's what the the psalmist is saying here. So we give thanks to God uh, because we've come into his presence because of his covenant promises, but we also give thanks for his protection. That's part of his covenant. That's part of what it means to be under the blessing of God and why we give praise to him. Notice in verses 19 to 22, he mentions here God's protection. He speaks and says, when they were but, he's speaking of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. So notice there, this is all meant to say, this is a vulnerable people. And if you go back and you reflect, you remember Abraham a couple of times, and so did Isaac. They even sometimes lied to try and protect themselves, because they were very well aware, we're living in somebody else's land. We are, we are foreigners who've come into the country. We are not from this people. They don't, they don't care about us. They don't like our God. They're watching over us. We are in a vulnerable place. But see, God had told Abraham, I'm your shield, Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. God had promised Abraham not only posterity, not only he promised him protection. Abraham, I will bless and protect you. And so, It goes on and says, he allowed no man to oppress them for his sake, for their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. That's a promise of God's protection. Because no matter how dark the times have been, no matter how the light of the gospel throughout the ages has seemed to flicker on the edge of extinction, God has always protected and kept his covenant people. When you are Abraham and you are wandering and it seems like the promise is not going to happen because you are 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old and there is not a single child to be born in your house, God says, I have not forgotten my promise. I will fulfill my covenant word. And when you are Isaac and it seems like you are, uh, you're the only one and you're not going to make it and Ishmael is persecuting you, God is faithful and keeps his covenant word. And when you are Jacob being chased by Esau, saw and you flee to another country. God is keeping his word. And when you are Joseph and you are not only sold into slavery, sent off into Egypt, thrown into a dungeon, forgotten, God is keeping his word. He always remembers. He is always faithful. And God is here speaking even to these exiles years later that look, just like God kept David, when David was chased and persecuted by Saul and had to even leave the promised land, God still brought him back. God brought him in and made him king, and God's presence came back with him, and he will do the same thing for you. And so the same thing is true for us today. We give praise to God in our own day because he has been faithful to our forefathers in the faith, stretching from the dawn of time all the way to today, and he will be faithful to us in our own day. As I been saying some, and and I will always continue to do it, do not be gloom and doom about the cause of the gospel. Do not be gloom and doom. The gospel is prospering. The gospel will prosper until Jesus comes back. Not because I'm giving a, a positive thinking pep talk, but because God has made a covenant promise and he will keep it. For a thousand generations, we may be forgotten. America might be some kind of just anachronism in a history book, like going back and studying the kingdom of Elam or some weird thing, but the gospel will still be there because God has promised and made it so. So we're told here this uh, tradition of praise that David is giving, saying, look, when you realize this, the blessing presence of God... God's provision and his covenant promise and his protection, you can't help but break forth in praise. Now, the second thing that's interesting is that's the first section which came out of Psalm 105. When he moves to the next section, 
which comes out of Psalm 96, it now moves to a call of proclamation. Our praise takes a turn and actually starts proclaiming who God is and what God's promises are. Notice in verse 23 and 24, which is right where it starts, we're told, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. So we're not only called to give praise to God directly, us speaking it to God, but we are called also to proclaim and declare his praise and glory to other people. Part of what you and I do, even when we sing, which we've already done this morning and we're going to do it in a little bit here, we're not only singing to God, we are also declaring the promises of God, the glory of God, the gospel of God, the truth of God to one another. That's actually what the New Testament says over and over again. We're told that we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. We are instructing and teaching one another as we do so. And this theme of singing and praising and declaring God's glory, uh, proclaiming it, runs throughout the psalm. Notice right at the very beginning in the first section that's actually about praising, we're told the same thing. Start in verse 8 and 9, the first two verses. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. So when we're singing, we're told here in the psalm that part of what you're doing, you're singing praise to God, but you're also declaring to others what he has done. Because the heart that overflows with praise naturally longs to proclaim God's name and his gospel to others. It's a natural response when you understand who God is and we understand the gospel. And notice, amazingly enough there, in verses 8 and 9, we're told, who are we giving, we're, we're who are we making known to what God has done? Who are we told there in verse 8? Make known among the nations. It's not just Israel. It's not just the covenant people that we do it. It's among the nations, which is the same thing that we had seen uh, up in verses 23 and 24. We don't just proclaim it to other believers, but to the nations, those who do not yet know God. The heart that has been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light, that knows it deserves judgment, but has received mercy, does not look at those who still have not tasted the mercy of God and say, oh, well. Now that heart looks at them and says, I want you to come out of darkness into light. I want you to taste the mercy of God. I want you who are not a people to be part of the people of God. I want you who are not under mercy to come under mercy. A heart that overflows with praise to God does not stop its mouth in the presence of unbelievers, but continues to declare the greatness and the glory of God. Because my focus is God. Other people are hearing what I'm saying, but everywhere I am, God is great. Everywhere I am, God is Lord. Everywhere I am, God is worthy of my praise. And so whether someone's a believer or not does not alter that I am speaking the praise of God. And in fact, notice what the psalm does here in this section. It tells us, and this might sound similar to some words that Jesus said, if we don't proclaim God's praise, creation's going to proclaim God's praise. God's going to be praised one way or another. So notice in verses 31 to 33, it says, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. If you, my people, won't say it among the nations, well, guess what? The, the heavens will. The earth will. It's going to proclaim that the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They will sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. So the psalmist is saying, God is going to be praised. The creation will proclaim the praise of God. And creation always praises God as it can as it can, for it's been created by God and he rules over it. So that's why I said last week, you remember Uzzah's thing, you know, it's, oh, the ark's going to fall into the mud and mud's a bad thing. No, it's not. It's just obeying God. 
That's what creation does. There's never been a tree yet. Never one. Never been a star yet that just said, I refuse to obey God today. I'm just taking a break from doing what he tells me to do. There's only one thing in creation that does that. What's that? Us, who are but dust. For some reason, see, the dirt on the ground obeys. The dirt that was scooped up and had the breath of God breathed into it and became his image, that dirt dares to say, I don't think so. See, David here is telling us, no, the creation is going to praise God. But humans alone, here's the glory, that dirt can only praise as dirt can praise. It's personified here, but does dirt actually sing? See, it doesn't. But see, humans alone can give God full, intelligent praise at those who are created in God's very image and redeemed to be His very children. You have experienced something that nothing else in creation has experienced. You were made in the image of God. And you have experienced something that nothing else in creation has experienced. Even the fallen angels will never experience, which is you've been redeemed and brought into the people of God. They were not... They, you want something to wrap your mind around? The angels who fell, they're not given a shot. There is no coming back. But you and I are. And so that ought to create praise out of us. I don't want some rock to shout out the praise because I'm failing to do what I'm supposed to do. I want the rocks to say I don't need to because he's doing what he is called to do. So we have this call to proclamation, and then it concludes with a call to prayer. Verses 34 to 36 conclude with a call to prayer. Notice that again goes to the theme of give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And then it says, cry out. Cry out. Let, the, let these be your words. Save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. And then at the end is all the people say amen and praise the Lord. So notice there's a picture, picture of a call to prayer and a response where the people say amen. God, we are crying out, save us. God, do this. And everybody says amen. And what does amen mean? So be it. Yes, Lord, we, we agree with that. So be it. May it be that way. Now, what's interesting here is in 1 Chronicles 16, the reason it's being written to the people of God is what are the nations that the readers of 1 Chronicles are in? They're in Babylon. It's a cry for them. When they read those words, if you read this and you're sitting in Babylon in the exile, what are you thinking? Oh, yes, God, gather us out of the nations and take us back to the promised land. But here's the, the, the amazing thing. Um, for us in the church, what is this cry? Who have received the fullness of the gospel. We pray this, that those who do not yet know God may be gathered from the nations into his people. This prayer is with missionary and evangelistic zeal. This is why we are praying for China this month. Because we are saying, we are crying out, save us, O God, our Savior, gather us out of the nations. You are here because someone who had tasted the mercy of God prayed this prayer. And so am I. And we need to continue that and pray it out with missionary fervor. God is on mission. From here to the farthest corners of the earth, there is no place where the sun rises and sets that God is not on mission calling people out to himself. And the people of God, as part of our worship, are supposed to cry out and say, God, keep doing that. You gathered me. You brought me to the table. I feast at your very table under your grace. God, don't forget the lost. Don't forget them. Cry out for them. As believers, let me get on a soapbox for a second. Please do not read the news and think about it primarily as what is America's political situation and what does this mean for us geopolitically. We need to be thinking about the gospel. We need to think about what's going to prosper the cause of the gospel. Because friends, Rome rose and fell. 
And Christians couldn't imagine. The crazy thing was, go back and read Augustine's City of God. He wrote it because Christians were saying in the early 400s, if Rome falls, how will the church survive? And Augustine has to point out, a hundred years ago, they were killing us all. We survived for 300 years with them slaughtering us every chance they got. I think the church will survive if Rome is gone. And today, Christians in our country are so tempted to view everything as Americans first. Don't do that. We are Christians first. The first thing the news ought to do for you and I is drive us to say, save them, O God. Reach out to them. Cry. God, draw them in. They need the gospel. You know the best thing that could happen in the Muslim world right now? What would be the best thing that could happen in the entire Muslim world? If it was set aflame with the gospel of God. That's what we need, not figuring out what our geopolitical position is. There's all kinds of people, and if your job is doing that in the American government, praise God, do that. But as a Christian, our first thought is save them, oh God, not how can we deliver a bomb and destroy them. And I say that as a prior Marine, okay? Save them, oh God. Reach out to them. Bring them out. The people who have experienced God's grace, who have received his promises and his protection. They cry out in praise, they proclaim him to others, and they pray for those who don't know him to be gathered in. That is a response of worship. Because the kingdom where God resides is a kingdom of worship. And that's what worship looks like. It's praise to God. It's proclamation of who God is and what his promises are. And it is crying out in prayer, saying, oh God, there are those who don't know Bring them in. Bring them in and let them know you. So how do we respond to this? Now I'm going to do something a little bit different today than I normally would in applying the word, which is rather than going through and saying, and you could do this profitably, am I praising, am I proclaiming, am I praying? Please do that. But I want to do something a little different, which is I want to ask us, are we really building a community of praise? The reason I'm doing this is remember this text. This text is where the tabernacle is starting under David. David's coming in, and they are becoming a kingdom of worship. He's building the tabernacle to praise of praise, proclamation, and prayer. And so the question for you and I is, are we part of building such a community? Not just what am I doing in my individual quiet time, but am I part of building a community of praise, proclamation, and prayer. David did all of this because he's a worshiper. And so the question for us in doing that is, am I a worshiper? Because worshipers build a community that praises, proclaims, and prays. And people who don't do that need to go back and ask if they're really a worshiper. So let me ask three questions or, or make three comments about what a worshiper looks like and how we are part of building a community that does that. The first thing is a worshiper sings. A worshiper sings. Worship is much broader than what we do here on Sunday morning. It's all of life, but it is also what we do on Sunday morning. And in Sunday morning, every part of what we do is worship. From the very first thing to the very last thing, it's all worship. But the singing is worship as well. And notice in this psalm, singing is very important in David's new tabernacle. Notice in verses 9 and 23, which is right at the beginning of each of the two sections, we're told, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts. And of course, the telling there in Hebrew parallelism is you're telling by singing. That's how the telling is going on. Verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And how are you proclaiming? Primarily proclaiming by singing is what the parallelism is telling you. So it's a central part of the life and worship of proclamation. If you read 1 Chronicles 16, it gives all of this information about 
which clans of the Levites David set aside and said, you guys are going to sing and you guys are going to play these instruments and you guys are going to do this. And if you read the whole thing, it looks like David may have even created some new instruments and just said, God's so awesome. We got to figure out every possible way we can to have this nonstop singing of worship going to his name. So let me point out what this means for you and I. We were created by God to sing as part of our being created. Okay, in scripture, stars, angels, trees, rocks are all pictured as singing, and as God's people, we are commanded to sing. So, creation, whatever it is, song is associated with it. So, what this means, let me get real blunt singing is not an expression of a particular type of personality. Well, Brad, I hear what you're saying, but, okay, your problem is right there in that but. Okay, that's a big problem. Highlight that. That's not my personality. It's not a question of personality. There's only one question. Are you created or did you make yourself? If you think you made yourself, talk to me afterwards and I'll get some guys to come in here and help you. Okay, you didn't make yourself. And if you are created, all created Things by nature are created to sing. Now, not all of you have an awesome gift for it like I do. So, not all of you can sing like I can sing. Hallelujah, Hallelujah that's right. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. You do not all sing like I do. It's not a question of gifting. The scripture says not many of you should want to get up here and do what I do because I'm going to be judged more strictly. So if you say, I was not made to preach, we can probably say, amen, you weren't. If you say, I wasn't made to sing praise to God, now we have a problem. Yes, you were. Not a matter of personality, not a matter of gifting. It's a matter of the heart. Singing's not an expression of a particular type of personality, but rather is the fruit of a heart filled with the praise of God. If I'm not wanting to sing, what I need to go back and do is ask myself, is my heart full of the praise of God? That's really where the question lies. Okay, I know I'm meddling here, but I'm meddling because the scripture meddles on this point. So the question, the first part of, am I building a community of praise? Am I a worshiper? Do I participate as the church sings praise to God? When, first off, am I here to do it? Or would I rather skip that part of the meeting? And I know it's going to get real quiet now. And when I'm here, do I do that? Or do I just think, when are we going to get through with this? Because let me, let me be honest with you and tell you, that's not an expression of your personality. You need to step back and say, is my heart overwhelmed by the fact that I am as sinful as Uzzah ever was, and I am invited into the presence of God, and instead of being torched and smoked and dead, I'm under the blessing of God. And it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with what Jesus has done for me. And they're all singing this right now. And I just, I don't feel like doing that. That's a problem. Now, let me be honest. Do I ever come in here and not feel like singing? Yes. A lot of Sundays. Just like I wake up some mornings and I don't feel like working out or running. And there are days, this is shocking, I don't wake up, roll over, and look at my wife and think, I love you with every fiber of my being. Some days I just wake up and think, boy, that was a lousy night of sleep last night. I got to get up. I don't always feel like things that are true, but I still do them. I still tell my wife every morning, I love you. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and work out because I need to do so. And I praise God when we are here every Sunday, whether I feel like it or not, because the gospel is true, whether I feel like it or not. Okay? So, so do I do that? Do I sing praise to God on my own? Because let me tell you, if you never sing praise to God on your own, 
you're going to find it difficult to come in here and do so. Now, I listen to all kinds of music. All kinds. You can come in to my office and hear me listen to all kinds of different things. But I also mixed in with that, I sing praise and worship music. It's just part of who I am because I want to praise God because of what he has done for me. We cannot be a community of worship unless each one of us is personally a worshiper. We will rise to the level as a community of worship that each of us is rising to. And it doesn't matter, well, you know, we're paying Brett and a few others and they'll be superstar worshipers. Doesn't work that way. We're going to be what we are as a community. Am I a worshiper? Do I sing to God? Second question, or second aspect is, a worshiper gives. When the tabernacle was originally built, if you look back when Moses built the tabernacle, the people gave financially and were part of the actual building it. When David prepares for the temple, a little bit later, you know, he wants the very next chapter in 2 Samuel, where this is kind of a break in between, David says, I want to build a temple for God. And Remember, the Lord says, no, Solomon's going to have to do that because you've been a man of war and all this. But David starts setting out the plans and setting aside all kinds of money to prepare to build the, the temple that's going to be there. And the people also participate and give. If we have a heart full of praise, we naturally want to extend the reach of the gospel. And so we give. That's why we do this. Not because it's law, not because God's going to hammer us if we don't do a certain thing or a certain way. All that stuff has nothing to do with the way we walk under the new covenant. In fact, the principle that, that God tells us is we give cheerfully because I'm getting to be part of what God is doing. I'm not only praying for God's work here and around the world, I'm actually, my blood, sweat, and tears is going into it. I give myself, I give of my money, I give of my talents to be part of that. This church, BRCC, is on mission locally and around the globe. I remind you every week when you walk in, please take 20 seconds, look to your right, Look at the picture of Annapolis and look straight ahead and look at the map of the world and remind yourself, we are planted here. We are a church in the city. We are a church for the city. And we are a church on mission from the docks to Djibouti and wherever else it is. I can't come up with another country that starts with D. Somebody help me out. Okay? We are from Annapolis to Argentina or however you want to do it. We are on mission thousands of miles. But friends, to do that, we have to join together. There's no way. We, we can't do it separately from that. So the question for us is, for us to do this individually giving sacrificially to the work of the kingdom, here's a couple of questions to answer that. Do I give both money and time to support the work of the kingdom in and through BRCC? Okay? If I come in and we're singing praise to God, and I just sit there and do this, am I helping us be a community of praise? No. If I come and I'm not giving myself to the extension of the kingdom in and through BRCC, am I helping us become a community of proclamation? I'm not. I'm not helping us to do that. Do I give with a joyful heart that delights to be part of declaring God's praise here and around the world? This is such an awesome thing. God could have done it any way he wanted to get the gospel out. Any way he wanted. He did not need you and I. Angels could do it. According to Jesus, the rocks can cry out, right? I mean, he can make it so. Of all the things he could have done, he said, I am going to establish a partnership. You are going to be my co-laborers. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. We are co-laborers with God. That ought to be really exciting to you and me. It's, it's not a burden. It's a joy. I get to partner with God as we are proclaiming the gospel from here to the farthest corners of the earth. So do I give it a joyful heart? That ought to, again, if I'm not having that, the, the answer is not law. The answer is to go back and say, 
am I beholding God? Am I beholding the gospel? Am I thinking about these things? Because a heart that meditates on these things wants to be part of doing this. It wants to be part. So we remind ourselves we cannot be a community that's making Jesus known unless each of us is giving to the work of God as part of our walking in the local church. Okay, we simply can't do it. Then the third area, a worshiper not only sings and a worshiper not only gives, a worshiper obeys. Okay, a worshiper obeys. In other words, we're, we're coming out of our heart with our words. We're giving the work of our hands and our giving, and then the walk of our feet, so to speak, is obedience to God. That's what a worshiper does. Worship's more than just words. It is a life that is dedicated to Jesus Christ. And if our heart is full of gratitude and praise, our lives will grow in obedience to God. And once again, if I'm not growing in obedience, the key is not more law. The key is to go back and say, am I standing amazed at the gospel? Because the gospel produces gratitude. The gospel produces a gratitude that says, I want to obey God. Over and over, God tells us, the holy God who resides there in that ark that we're talking about, that that was where he resided in the Old Covenant. That holy God says, be holy because I am holy. In fact, that phrase is there, you know, I, I sometimes laugh, Christians really like to, you know, God is love. That is, the scripture says that twice. And like 500 times says, I am holy. Over and over and over again. And God says, because I'm holy, you as my people are to be holy. So the question in answering that, am I a worshiper? Am I growing in obedience to God and his word? As I read God's word, am I growing in obedience? Are my thoughts, desires, words, and actions, all of those, are my thoughts, desires, words, and actions growing in conformity to God's word or to the culture around me? What am I I becoming more like? Am I being more conformed to the image of Jesus, what he tells us he is in the word, or to the culture around me? Because, again, BRCC, our church, we can't be a holy community of worship unless each of us individually is walking in holy obedience to God. We're going to do is the, the worship team's going to come forward. As they're coming up and setting up, I want to remind us, and I want you to think through those questions there. We're going to have a chance now to actually put the first one into practice, which is singing. We're going to be singing the song forever, Give Thanks to the Lord, which comes from Psalm 105 or 1 Chronicles 16, uh, whichever way you like. It's, it's some of the words we just read in our text. But I want you to think about this this week for each of us. Am I really building my life as a worshiper? Am I somebody who delights to sing the presence of God? Am I somebody who delights to give myself and financially to the work of God, the very labor of my hands? Am I somebody who's growing in obedience to God and his word? If each of us individually are doing that, Bay Ridge is going to grow as a community of worship. If each of us individually are not doing that, Bay Ridge is going to be stunted in its worship. So, I'm waiting for the worship team. And uh, yes, Myrtle. Hold on a second. I'm going to get a mic because you need to be heard. Oh, are you okay? The Lord gave me a psalm this week. And it goes right along with this. I've been sitting there in my heart going, I want to give it. It says, shout to the Lord. It's Psalm 100. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Worship him in gladness. Come into his presence with joyful songs. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And I thought, you know, as Brett, as you were sharing, I was thinking, if we don't enter in with praise, with gladness of heart, it's worthless. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can sing, but if we're not glad about it, we don't have joy about it, we're not excited about what God's done, because it says why we do that is because it says because he is good, 
His love never fails. Mm -hmm. And his faithfulness continues throughout every generation. That's Amen. Psalm 100. Amen. Amen. Well, in that spirit, what we're going to do is let's stand together. And we are going to sing this psalm. And I encourage you, even look at the words before we even start, that we are giving thanks to God, our God and King, because his love endures for how long? Forever. forever. His covenant love, his covenant faithfulness endures forever. So let's sing and worship together, and then I will conclude with a word of benediction. especially because you are with us forever. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is Emmanuel, God 
with us. And God with us to bless us rather than to consume us as our deeds would deserve. So Father, in light of the gospel, we give you thanks. We sing praise. And Lord, because your faithfulness is forever, so will our praise be forever. By your grace, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.